If you would, please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning with me to Paul's letter to the Galatians. As we turn to God's word and open it up, let's ask his blessing upon our efforts. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to know, hearts to embrace, and hands and feet to work out your truth. May your word that we will explore this morning, may it strengthen us with patience and endurance to run the race that is set before us. And Father, while we are running, may we rest in the confidence that the good work that you have begun in us will be carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Was last week going to be the end or would this week be the end of Galatians? Well, that, as I mentioned a moment ago, was the question that I was wrestling with earlier last week. And what is the best way to to finish up what we began back on the 10th of September of 2017? Forget the best way. I was struggling with a way. Um, How do you summarize? How do you uh, provide an overview and conclude so rich a time in God's Word? I I spent quite a bit of time just looking through my notes of all 24 previous sermons. I went through rereading Galatians. How do you you in the next 30 minutes bring all of that together? Well, as I read and I reread Galatians, um, something struck me. And it was an expression that as I read it a couple of times in one chapter, I'm like, is this anywhere else in Scripture? And sure enough, I've got a Bible program called Bible Works that can do in about 10 seconds what would take me 10 years to go through everything. And sure enough, only in Galatians and only twice in all of Scripture, in in most translations, uh, do you see these words, the truth of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 5, if you turn with me. Chapter 2, verse 5, I'll begin reading in verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. And now verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Go down to verse 14. Remember Paul And Peter get into a conflict. Two believers in conflict. Can you imagine it? Well, here it is in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with, here it is again, the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So there it is in one chapter Twice in all of Scripture, the truth of the gospel. For Paul, who is writing this letter, and indeed for all of us, the truth of the gospel is a big deal. 
It's a matter of spiritual life and spiritual death. But before we go forward, let's step back and provide a brief overview. Why this series? The historical background, the theme, and outline. And then some questions. Well, we're in this series that's wrapping up today, The Gospel According to the Bible, an exposition of the letter to the Galatians. Throughout the first century and certainly here in the 21st century, there is widespread ignorance and confusion regarding Jesus Christ, who He is and what He came to do. And in Mark, the earliest of the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Remember the opening words that Mark chose, the opening words of Jesus in verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was how Jesus opened up his public ministry as we record, see in Mark. Because you see, here's Jesus talking about the gospel and Jesus and the good news about who he is and what he came to do, that is the gospel, cannot be separated. You can't have one without the other. And so it's no surprise that there is ignorance and confusion as well regarding the gospel. What it is, and if I can say this, how it works. Our series has meant to address this ignorance and confusion and by God's grace to lessen the ignorance and to reduce the confusion. In other words, to provide clarity on the gospel. Paul, the apostle, remember he preached the gospel. He planted churches. He pastored churches. You can remember that easily, right? Paul preached, planted, and pastored. And here he is on his first missionary journey and he helps establish churches in what's a part of now modern day Turkey, but southern Galatia, a Roman political province. And probably somewhere just 15 to 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have Paul writing this letter back. And the occasion, of course, is false teachers who would come in to kind of follow Paul in his teaching. And remember, and this is so important, these false teachers, also known as the Judaizers, they were not teaching that faith in Jesus Christ is not necessary. They were absolutely teaching that. They were also teaching faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. And it's the not enough that represented a clear and present danger to the gospel. Paul knew it, and Paul writes this letter. And as you read through Galatians, you see an emotional, stirred up, concerned apostle caring for this church. Because the gospel is under attack, Paul knows that he has to defend himself and the gospel. Well, the theme of Galatians, if you have to choose one word, it would be faith. Some choose freedom. I know there's some commentaries, free in Christ, freedom in Christ, a great uh, capturing, but faith is that which leads to freedom. And specifically, it's justification by faith. In just a few moments, we're going to spend some time in chapter 2, verse 16. But let me just read it now. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There it is at the heart of Paul's message. 
Not only is it faith and it leads to freedom as we saw beginning in verse or chapter 5, but some have referred to Galatians as the Magna Carta of the Reformation. Latin being the great charter of the liberties, not in the sense of the 1215 English political document, but any document constituting the fundamental guarantee of rights and privileges. And many see in Galatians rightly this guarantee of the rights and privileges of Christians. Martin Luther, the great German reformer in the early 16th century, discovered that Christianity was not about what he had to do for God, but rather what God had done for him in Christ. And it was through Romans and through Galatians that he came to this understanding and such that he said of Galatians, this is my epistle. This is my wife. He had an affection, a devotion to these six chapters, these 149 verses. In the preface to his commentary, Luther writes this, words to the effect, For there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. You saw the quote at the end of the order of worship, the something to think about quote. He speaks of the gospel and specifically justification by faith and saying we should know this article well, teach it to others and beat it into their heads continually. Indeed, running throughout Galatians is this expression about salvation, which we see clearly coming out of the Protestant Reformation. Justification is by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and all for the glory of God alone. Now, why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? Firstly, Understanding justification being by faith alone in Christ alone. Why is it a big deal? Well, it honors God. It takes God at his word. Notice in Romans, we hear it there. We hear it in Galatians. It's not just an isolated verse here and there. It's God's word to his people. So it's honoring to him. It takes him at his word. But secondly, and somewhat, if I could say this practically, although that is absolutely practical as well. If we're saved by faith in Jesus and not by what we do, then we've been freed up. Freed up to love others, to love God, to love our neighbor as we see that emphasis in the last two chapters of Galatians. Indeed, Galatians is a defense of the gospel with those six chapters, 149 verses. The first two Chapters are autobiography, Paul's personal defense of his gospel ministry, his apostleship. The next two chapters, three and four, theology. It's Paul's theological defense of the gospel message, that being justification by faith. And the last two chapters, five and six, ethics, his practical application of the gospel message to the lives of his readers, in particular, Christian liberty that serves that loves. Now from this outline, uh, we see three questions that are asked and answered in Galatians. Chapters 1 and 2 are the question of authority. How do we know what 
and whom we are to believe or disbelieve. Remember, Paul is having to defend the gospel. He's having to defend himself against false teaching and false teachers. And chapters 3 and 4 are the question of salvation. How does a person get right with God? How does a person receive the forgiveness of sins? And how is a person restored into his favor and fellowship? And thirdly, it's the question we see in chapters 5 and 6 of conduct. How do we live a life of righteousness? How do we live a life of love? How do we live a life of obedience? Authority, salvation, and conduct. Paul writes, I believe, in order for us to see that two things happen when it comes to the truth of the gospel. He wants two things to happen for his reader, then, originally, as well as now. And that is this, rest in the truth of the gospel and work out the truth of the gospel. Resting in the truth of the gospel. And we're going to do that by drawing our attention to three texts. Join with me as I read chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul, in the early part of his letter, writes this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here, Paul is drawing the attention right off the bat to the fact that Jesus gave himself to deliver us. Because the gospel, if anything, is the message of rescue and deliverance. An early commentator by the name of Lightfoot, I believe J.B. Lightfoot, says this, The gospel is a rescue, an emancipation from a state of bondage. And I appreciated Stan's prayer of going from uh, darkness and death and slavery to, to life and light and freedom through the work of the gospel. And we see to deliver us from this present evil age that the Bible divides Time into two ages, this age and the age to come, the already and the not yet. Here again we read, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. This is a truth of the gospel that we must believe, be assured of, and indeed rest in. Now, going forward into Galatians 2, I will read verse 16 again. I'll start at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Three times in one verse. Hammer, hammer, hammer. You hear Paul. And notice there's a move from the general. We know to the personal. We also have believed and then to the universal. No one will be justified. 
It's a movement we know. We also have believed. No one will be justified. One commentator in trying to capture in other words this verse says this. The reason faith justifies is that it takes hold of Christ and Christ is the one who makes us right with God. We are acceptable to God, not by keeping the law ourselves, but by trusting in the only man who ever did keep it, Jesus Christ. So this is another aspect of the truth of the gospel that we must believe, we must be assured of, that we must rest in. And now come down just a few verses with me to the first part of chapter, or excuse me, of verse 20 in chapter 2. Paul continues, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's listen to that again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is Paul's personal declaration. After he has declared three times in one verse or in close proximity about justification by faith, he makes it personal. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's from justification by faith out there, we see in verses 15 and 16, to justification by faith in here. Paul is taking it personally. And here we see the doctrine of union with Christ. John Calvin in the beginning of book three of the Institute says that everything that Christ has done, his obedient life, his sacrificial death, his victorious and triumphant resurrection, all of the benefits and the blessings that he brings, if we remain outside of Christ, we don't benefit. We don't get the blessing. Here is this absolutely fundamental doctrine of Christ in us and us in Christ, union with Christ. So here we see that when it comes to justification by faith, you've got to take it personally. Let me ask you, are you right now, today, taking justification by faith personally? Or is it a great doctrine to believe for other people? You know, other people who qualify for justification by faith. Are you... And it's a question I have to ask myself. Am I taking justification by faith personally? Can I, in other words, say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Well, along with this call to rest, to rest in these truths that, that Christ, uh, what gave himself to deliver us, uh, this great truth of justification by faith and not by works and this this, this declaration, this truth that, that a Christian is someone who's been crucified with Christ and who no longer lives, but Christ lives in them. Along with this call to rest in the truth of the gospel comes the call also to work out the truth of the gospel. Indeed, as Paul would speak in Philippians, we are to work out that which God through Christ works in us. We work out what 
he works in us. So let's spend a few moments now looking at this idea of working out the truth of the gospel. And we're going to start again with just um, a brief look at three texts. And we're going to start where we left off. We left off in the middle of verse 20. Paul continues, And the life I now live in the flesh, not in the sinful flesh, but just meaning in his present bodily life here, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, Paul goes from justification by faith out there to justification by faith in here. He's taking it personally. There's union with Christ. And what does that do? It leads to living by faith. Being joined to, in a faith union with Christ leads to living by faith. Again, when it comes to justification by faith, you've got to take it personally. Again, I ask the question, not just so that you can hear it, but I can hear it. Are we, am I, taking justification by faith personally? So, not only is working out the truth of the gospel mean living by faith, working out the gospel also draws our attention to what matters, what counts. Look with me now over at chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, again, in union with Christ, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What counts? Only faith working through love, not outward appearance, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but rather outward action. The invisible faith works through the visible love, the love of God and the love of neighbor. And we see especially in chapters 5 and 6, the love of neighbor. John Calvin writes these words, It is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. There he's writing somewhere in the 1500s. Here in the 1900s, J.I. Packer, the Anglican pastor, theologian, says this, What saves is faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And here we read it very clearly in a great chapter in our Confession of Faith, chapter 11 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, paragraph 2. Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and His righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification. And there's Paul, and there's Galatians 2.16. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. Where did our confession get this idea that faith works through love? Here, Galatians 5.6 and following. And again, notice that how verse 6 began. For in Christ Jesus, in the faith, in union with Christ, 
only faith works. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. And then we see later on in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Well, how are through love you're going to serve? Well, it's through faith. What kind of faith? Faith in Christ. You know, it's amazing to me. um, Loving other people is difficult, isn't it? It's easy to love the lovely, right? The easy, the people that don't grate on your nerves. Yeah. So how do you love other people? My friends, you got to have someone with you. You got to have somebody who demonstrates love, amazing love divine. How could you really love somebody without Jesus? It's a fool's errand. Only Jesus with you and in you by his Holy Spirit can can keep you loving someone when you repeatedly get stepped on or shoved away or people misunderstand you. In Christ, Paul would say. And then go down with me to verses 16 and 25 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit in Galatians. God sends the Spirit. He supplies the Spirit. And we receive the Spirit. We wait for the Spirit. And we walk by the Spirit. In verses 16 and 8 through 18, we see the command, walk And we see that it's necessary. Why? Because there's a conflict. It's a war between the spirit and the flesh. But there's a confidence that we have that that war has been and will be won. In verse 18 of chapter 5, we see that the spirit leads, but we walk in verse 16. And we now walk in verse 25. And those of you that were here, remember that that walk is a little bit different than the earlier walk. And the second walk is more a corporate walk. It comes from a military context of soldiers walking together in cadence, listening to the cadence call of their commanding officer, their platoon sergeant. They are walking in step. They are running in step. All that matters is to hear the cadence and to move. We walk together. We run together as a church. We stay in formation. And as we stay in formation, we love one another. And look with me beyond verse 25 into 26. Right after we hear this call to walk by the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Because what we believe about ourselves in the mirror of the gospel determines our conduct toward others. Only the gospel, only justification by faith makes us neither self-confident nor self-disdaining, but rather bold and humble. Only the gospel shows us that we are neither superior than other people and need to look down on them, nor do we have to be inferior to people and look up to them. Because what comes with that? Provocation, envying, not love. 
And we saw as chapter 6 began what spiritual people do. They gently restore. They strongly bear. They honestly consider. And they eagerly share. So we've heard in this section of working out the truth of the gospel that we live by faith and that the only thing that counts is that faith working out working through love and we're doing that as we walk by the spirit we are led by the spirit so let me ask you this question earlier it was are you resting in the truth of the gospel because my friends you start there you 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 rest before you work it's interesting isn't it you you uh, often you know we work and then we rest but here you rest and then you work so are you working out the truth of the gospel it's a good question to ask over lunch today Ask your spouse, ask your children, ask your friend. Do you see me working out the truth of the gospel? Because when it comes to the truth of the gospel, we're called to both rest in it and work it out. And so all of this brings us back to these three questions that we mentioned at the beginning. Because the answer to the question of authority is this. It's Jesus Christ through his apostles. In other words, now through his written word. Who gets to say? Who's got the authority? Who's the boss? Not the false teachers who say it's Jesus and something else. No, it's God's word. That's the authority. And what's the answer to the question of salvation? Is it Jesus and circumcision? No, Paul says it clearly. The word says it clearly. It's Jesus Christ through his cross. His cross is the answer to salvation. As we saw last week in Paul's boasting in the cross. And what about conduct? What's the answer to the question of conduct? How to live a a life of righteousness, of holiness, of obedience? How? It's Jesus Christ through His Spirit. So Jesus Christ is the one we need and and what He has done is what we need. And by faith, by faith we have Christ through His apostles, through His Word to teach us. We have Christ through His cross and through His cross alone to save us. And we have Christ through His Spirit To sanctify us. His word. His cross and his spirit. And as I was thinking about this. You hear it often said. The word and the spirit. The spirit and the world. Absolutely. But as I looked at Galatians. Between the word and the spirit. Is the cross. The cross really is central. To it all. Resting in and working out the truth of the gospel are not opposed to each other. Listen to this verse again, the one that brought resting in and working out together with a change of pronouns. As it is directed now to all Christians, that is those 
people, young and old, who are trusting not in themselves but in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Galatians 2.20 reads like this. We, that is Christians, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We rest in that. We rest in that. But then we work this out. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. My friends, rest in the truth of the gospel today. Your striving needs to cease. Rest in the fact that Jesus has come. He's lived a perfect life. He's died an atoning sacrificial death. He's risen from the grave. He's ascended to heaven and he's promised to return. Rest in the truth, the declarative truth of the gospel. But also... Work out the truth of the gospel. Work out the faith that you've been given. And how does that faith work itself out? It's through love. It really is all about love, isn't it? Faith works through love. My friends, the truth of the gospel has been preserved for us. Did you see that? Paul is fighting to preserve the truth of the gospel. And by God's grace, it has been preserved and it has been proclaimed to us. The truth of the gospel has been preserved for us. And may we, through God's enabling grace, persevere in resting in and working out its life-saving and life-changing truth so that others who aren't yet at rest and others who haven't yet tasted the joy of working out what God has worked in, that they would come to rest in the truth of the gospel and work out the truth of the gospel for the glory of God and for the good of his people. Amen. Almighty God, we thank you for these six chapters, these 149 verses. We thank you that the truth of the gospel has indeed been preserved for us. But Father, we know that there are enemies outside and enemies even within that continue to speak and whisper, this is too good to be true. But oh, Father, we know, we know that it is true. And we ask, Father, for your enabling grace to help us today rest in this glorious truth and also work out this glorious truth that salvation is found in Christ alone. For we pray in his name. Amen.